Our next guest is Australia's most personable and lovable personality. He is an actor, TV and radio and podcast host, celebrity speaker, and maybe best of all, he is an accomplished author. One of five siblings, a father of three, a fisherman and a golfer. Today we're talking about creativity, the art of storytelling, parenting challenges and a whole bunch more. A big, worthy welcome into our virtual studio, Andrew Datto. Jeez, Lucas, that was very generous. Not at all. Um, as we start off with so many of our guests and being one of six boys myself, um, I'd be interested where this answer goes, but where did you play as a child? Oh, okay. So um, because I'm in my mid-50s, right, I, and I, think, I, I, I actually believe this to be true, we were an outside family, right? So mm-hmm. five, one of five kids, we had a um, – so our house was – we grew up in, in semi-rural Victoria uh, and on the Mornington Peninsula, and so we had a house here and two empty blocks, one on each side, but they're actually large, that proper paddocks. So we had the the paddock with a sheep on one side. That was the cricket paddock, right, because it was flatter, and then the paddock on the other side had a horse in it, called a fat horse called Twiggy, um, and that was the bike riding paddock. So we had our jumps and everything set up so we'd, you know, dig holes and fill it with water and do tadpoles and tadpole reassignment, frog reassignment, <laughs> uh, make fires, get firewood. So we were definitely an outside um, family, an outside play family. And you say um, play was a narrative that was um, respected and um, highlighted right across I your ju- family? Where did it come from? I don't think we ever used words like that, right? Yes. I think, I, I, and I think this is quite important. Mm-hmm. This was just growing up. That's just what yep. you did growing up. There was no, there was nothing official put around the ter- around play. In fact, play wasn't yep. even a term. It was literally see ya. <laughs> get outside. Get out. Get out. Yeah. And come home later, right? Go and get the firewood. Go and find, get some kindling, things like that. So it was, it was utterly unstructured, mm. and it was kids being kids. And I think that's really important because I reckon now when we say when we talk about things like play, mm. there's a true sense to it, and there probably shouldn't be a true sense to it. It should just be kids just muck up. Yeah, that, that's yeah, what a really I think good anyway. Point. Yeah, absolutely. You bang on it. Um, being a playground designer, um, you know, we, we go in and talk about things like risky play. But in my heart, I know all play is risky. It has the affordance to. Yeah. But to make it relatable and kind of overcome the fear, kind of name it to shame it vibe. Yeah, well, it's a, yeah, I haven't actually thought about it that way. And I haven't, mm. well, to be fair, I haven't been forced to think about it that way. Yeah, um, and... One of the best things um, I heard you on some other podcasts, and it's those those nuggets of wisdom that you come out with quite regularly. Is the reason, I'll, and I know you're going to be modest about it, but um, are quite insightful. And I think that comes from that quite reflective mindset of being the author, being the storyteller, thinking about a narrative. May, uh, maybe I, I certainly think that um, that the amount of time that we had to actually do things, go and actually do things, mm. um, does help with the no- nature of storytelling. So I, I've got, um, like I say, look, they're genuine concerns. I've, they're not really genuine concerns because they're not my children, so I'm, I'm not concerned in that way, but in a more holistic sense. So all these kids who are gaming, for instance, right? Mm. So the gaming society will go, oh, it's really it's good, and there's got to be something good for them, um, phones, as well, but yep. if you're sitting there on a phone or embedded in a game, you're not. You can be creative, but but you're not making yourself work to be creative in a sense of entertaining yourself. So, like that thing of being able to come up with dumb stuff to do, like I don't know, um, <laughs> pretending you're evil can evil, right? And and creating jumps that way, and every yard is another London double decker bus, and that fantasy thing, or walking to school with a drink bottle under your arm, and suddenly that drink bottle becomes a football, and you go and you're running down the field, and he's going one bounce, two bounce, all that sort of stuff. And I'm, and I do yeah. worry that um, 
you know, in whatever, 20, 30 years' time, we're going to have a whole generation of kids who have been fed information to engage them, not created their own information to engage themselves. Yeah, 100%. And there's the first time in history where we're trying to teach so many things to children about life from a really intangible standpoint. Yeah. You know, we learn through our senses. We learn through failing. <laughs> you realise you can't be tackled against the gutter. Um, <laughs> often with you. <laughs> you know, you shouldn't yeah. use a sharp stick to build yeah. a flying fox. Those simple things. And I'm dramatising it a bit, but, you know, we have to explore uh, and experience the world to understand it, not talk in theory. Yeah, I'm not sure over-dramatising it. Like, I talk in schools a lot, and one mm. of the stories I tell is about bike riding and um, and doing a jump, and it, there's sort of some truth in the story, but the kid, one kid loosens the front wheel of the other kid while he's not there, you know, and then he does the yeah. jump. So he does the thing like this, and his front wheel falls off and... You know, but when I say to the kids who's jumped their bike at the very beginning, who's jumped their bike, uh, who doesn't know what jumping a bike is, and half, you know, half their hands are on. Mm. Yeah. And, and then you go, well, okay, it's not jumping over your bike, it's jumping with your bike. And the teacher's sitting there going, no, 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 this is too dangerous. Don't, mate. Yeah. Too, I'm like, no, come to school on Monday with a busted arm. You'll be right. Like, it'll mend, yeah. it'll mend or you'll have a great better, time. Better a broken arm than a broken spirit. Hey, I'm going to write that down. Let's just take that for myself. It's not Thanks, mine. Lucas. It's someone way oh, smarter okay. than me said that. Right. I ripped them off for sure. <laughs> yeah, but um, now you're a father of three. How, how's play look differently? We've obviously mentioned the screen influence, but how does play look differently from your generation to your uh, children? Well, we had space. That our kids didn't have space. Yeah. So we grew up in... Um, or that they grew up in, you know, like, you know, pretty tight neighbourhood. So mm. it meant, and also that said we'd have to actually, we'd take them to go and muck around instead of them going and finding their own way there. Uh, yeah. They did walk to school. They always walked to school. We had a, and this is all my wife's doing, by the way, right? I'm not, so I'm not taking any credit for this. Because I also grew up watching lots of television, you know, like between whatever, five and seven o'clock or whatever it was. Um, so we had no, our kids had no television on weekdays at all and no mm. videos, no nothing. So they had to read books, play games, so um, do puzzles, do colouring in, paint in the shower. Like, you know, you take the yeah. acrylic paints into the shower and paint the screen and, you know, stuff like that. So it, they were still force-fed things where they had to actually be creative, um, but they did it on a smaller scale. And we literally, like, we we roamed far and wide, and we had and we were allowed to. There was dirt roads. Yeah. We lived in a cul-de-sac, a dirt cul-de-sac. I remember the day Mum came home and I was about 12 and I'd actually got her car caught in the middle of the... <laughs> and I couldn't go forward and I couldn't go back, and she came home and goes, what are you doing? And I went, oh, <laughs> Busted. Busted. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so and, but you can't do that anymore. So there's there's not much point looking backward and forward, mm. but there is a point yeah. in going and trying to learn some of those, you know, that those risk lessons. You know, you've got to get stuff yeah. wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And the the data around that is like we had a kilometre plus of free rain uh, of free rain within our neighbourhoods As a kids. generation ago. Yeah, and what is it and now? now? A line of sight or seventy metres. Is it? Yeah. I mean, so it's quite a way of play as well, you know. I mean, I'm sure mum and dad did it at some point. I mean, dad worked. He was, he was, mm. you know, so he wasn't there during the cut and thrust of most of it. Um, yeah, that they, you know, don't now you share, share. They're all good lessons, but I mean, yeah, like, yeah. far out. They'll learn to share yeah. anyway, eventually. Or There's not. a hierarchy. There's a hierarchy with lots of siblings as well. Yeah. Kind of yeah. Work out that pretty quickly. Mm. So within you, you've got a lot of projects on, like, as I mentioned in the intro, TV, radio, not just um, being the guest on parenting podcasts, but speaking at schools and golf and fishing, yeah, <laughs> all sorts. But um, what sparks your interest at the moment? Do you 
Um, look, uh, golfing always has my interest. Uh, yeah. And it always had, like, it just always has my interest. So um, last week I went and emceed the, the general manager, the golfing general managers conference, which I loved because mm. it was five days of talking, people talking about golf and whatever. So I love doing that. But also, um, we're sort of, I did the, spent the first half of the year working with Subaru on a new uh, series called The Great Australian Detour, which was great to yep. just travel and driving and uh, getting, and it sort of works with that thing of, you know, what you're talking about with play as well, of getting off the freeway and getting onto the side roads yep. and the more quirky, obsolete, um, not I was going to say obsolete, but uh, the distant areas and finding the old-fashioned fun, you know, like yep. actually exploring and, and investigating. So that was a great way to spend the first half of the year. And um, we're about to go to the Kimberley to do a documentary with Ponant. And we did one in Antarctica in 2019. Uh, and so we're going to do the top end. So uh, Broome to Darwin in a, wow. yeah, and a ship. And it's amazing. Like, it's amazing. So we just sort of, we had a big meeting yesterday about it. So there was sort of gearing up on how we're going to attack it and, set it and the tone that we want to have with it. So all, like all these things that you do and it's really, it, it appears to be off the cuff and, you know, um, yeah. we put a lot of thought into how it's going to sound and look and, yeah. and the message we're trying to um, help get across. Yeah. And something interesting, that undertone there that I see with my play lens is like, they're all very playful projects like the adventure of it is oh, playful. Yeah. And, and the fact that you play golf as an adult and you're so passionate about it, it's a form of play. So how much of an influence form did your of competition? No, no. Oh, absolutely. You, talk, you don't have to talk to me twice about that one. Yeah. I'm still upset about a month ago I got beaten by my general manager. I still hear about it daily. Mm. Mm. So how does that playful childhood influence um, valuing play as an adult, if at all? Uh, oh, no, I definitely think it does because um, I think we learnt, um, we learnt early to try and enjoy yourself, right? So I had a really interesting talk with a boy, um, a, the, a, the son of the good friends. He was just about to drop out of uni after six months with his new course, and I said, "Oh, so what are you going to do?" He goes, "Oh, you know, I think I want to do the stuff that you you do. You always look like you're having a a good time, and part of the trick is to look like you're having a good time. But part of the trick of looking like that is to actually find the little nuggets of time that you enjoy having. If that makes sense. <laughs> so um, I think I've been quite lucky in trying to um, organise work life." to be doing things that actually are engaging. And and, yeah. and that's the thing when you're a kid, and, and this is something I think our kids have got quite well also, is that if you're playing a game and you're not enjoying it, then remove yourself from it. If kids are playing the way that you, that is not working for you as such, then just remove yourself from the game, find another, there's someone else to play with. Or if, you know, if it's really gone to shit, um, as often happens in the teenage years, completely remove yourself from whatever is going shit, go and make your own fun. And inevitably someone will come and say, hey, what are you doing? And can we do it with you? And you just start yeah. your own next game. So I think it's sort of, it's it's kind of worked out a bit that way, like in a work yeah. sense. Um, yeah. But that doesn't, it hasn't always been easy, but it's, uh, but I definitely try and enjoy everything I do. And if you work really hard at making it work for yourself, then people will, you know, get that feeling, I think. Yeah. And it, it seems to be quite a counterculture um, position, though, because what do we talk about? We talk about getting employable to our children, to teens, mm -hmm. get an education, get through uni, get a good job, and then is it where's the have fun, enjoy what you're doing? Yeah, it's a good point. So you're, you're in that realm at the moment. You relate to high school students moving into university, obviously talking to young adults at university. What's your advice and position in encouragement for them? Well, it's, it's very tricky. <laughs> 
It's actually <laughs> tricky because, see, I'm also the old school that, you know, you have to actually, you know, sometimes you've got to suck eggs to get to the next spot. Like yeah. you do. And I think it's really difficult. Like yeah. a lot of the conferences I'll be, I'll be part of, one of the biggest things is how to engage young people so they stay at your work. Now, I remember mm. in the olden days when it was um, how are we going to, like it was never about engaging the young people. It was like you bring them in and they have to suck eggs for a little while until they get better at what they do and then they can move forward and start mm. doing the things they possibly want to do. Yeah. So the, there's been a whole paradigm shift in how we deal with young people at work. My, for, for Like our kids, for instance, one's just about to finish his degree and he's flying. Like he's, he's in the right spot, he's with the right people and it's, you know, and it's got nothing to do with anything I do. Like I'm sure he's gone, I'm not doing that. <laughs> you know, so he's a good boy. <laughs> um, and then another one daughter's a second year at union. She's really enjoying, she's doing arts media and she's really enjoying the writing. She's a beautiful writer, like a beautiful writer. And the youngest one's finished school last year and she's... Um, She's going to stop her course after the first semester because it just hasn't worked out and she'll figure out the next thing to do. Yes. But I, I do think, I think you've got to, well, everyone talks about resilience, but in the, in the sense of you've got to sometimes put up with stuff you don't want to do to get to the good things that, assert, that jobs offer or degrees yeah. offer, you know? But like the first year of a degree is always like, what? What? You know, boring and you know it or it's not for you, but sometimes you have to last a little bit longer to to yep. get to the meat. Yeah, and as you were talking there, I wrote down a note saying resilience and underlined it hmm. because, yeah, you have to suck eggs and that, that's where you develop that resilience. Also, yeah. there's an undertone of that in what you were saying earlier around the, like, moving on from friends. Moving on from games, yeah, like that's not an easy task, and you've got to go. Yeah, this is going to suck. Oh but yeah. I, well, the, the, I, I mean, there's a new. I, I heard it the other day. There's a, a new. I don't know if it's a new theory, but I haven't heard it. Resilience versus reliance, and it's mm. not making people reliant on us. It's making ourselves resilient to the things that we. So you know, have to learn to look after ourselves as opposed to looking at other people. Going, hey, can you look after me? I, I don't yes. want to. I've got to. I don't want to be reliant upon you. I want to be resilient in case you no longer can provide. Yeah, and, and I think that might be a really interesting thing with the, in a kid sense as well, because you know, if kids can be, well, hang on a second, uh, mum and dad are seventy meters or, or within eyeball away from me, but what yeah. if they're not? Well, I can't yeah. rely on them right now, so now I'm going to have to actually be a little bit uh, sharper or a little bit stronger, mm. and. Um, not look to them for help, but go, well, I'll help myself. And I think that's the, you know, that, that that's what I'd like to think that kids are, have always had. Um, yeah. And, and we'll see if that continues. Yeah. We're seeing it drop out of favor, a, a, yeah. a touch though. I, I actually intentionally design in secluded play so a child can feel out of sight, feel like they've got independence, yeah. but due to the sector, we still have to have supervision. Yeah, so I know. I understand all that. Like that, that's, yeah, yeah. That's all. That all makes sense. But it just, it, I'm. I just wonder if it was a thing, you know, twenty years ago, thirty years ago, and I'm not sure it was. No, I don't think we would have. I never grew up hearing the word resilience. No, no. It's just like, well, but we grew up with, you know, it's come on, toughen up, jeez, what's wrong? Yeah, with yeah. Them? What are you crying yeah. for? Well, I don't know. Yeah. Like, Got in trouble. Well, don't worry about that, right? And my dad does yeah. not talk like that, by the way. <laughs> I thought you impersonated my dad. Um, <laughs> the other thing you touched on there, I'd love to get your insight into it. So uh, we work predominantly in the early childhood sector. I'm working with early childhood centres. And we, as a sector as a whole, there is a huge decrease as across many sectors within retaining staff and um, supporting the younger generation into the workforce as a whole. So I'd, for our listeners, because a lot of them are early childhood directors, educators, um, what's your tips for supporting staff to stay in their roles and, and enjoy their profession? 
childhood, for instance, that first uh, the first three weeks of school, that first three weeks of having new kids or the first month or two months would be exciting and also hell on earth because you've got to start and, and make this cohort actually a functional cohort, you know, and you're going to have kids yeah. from all different walks of life, some of little turds, you know, like just <laughs> kids who can do whatever they want. You could have other kids who do whatever they're asked to do and you have mm. a, a different sense of right and wrong and, and somehow you've got to make that all come together. Well, that's not going to happen in the first I don't know, maybe a month. I don't know. But yeah. if you gut it out, I'm sure the reward at the end, you know, like by the time you get to second term, is you've got a fun- something functional that you've actually created that you can actually look at yourself and go, holy cow, I, I actually made this work. And then once it's working, look how well it gets to work by the end of it. Then when they yeah. leave, they're all crying and you're crying and blah, blah, blah. And then next year, Jesus Christ, here we go again, you know, and it starts. But I yeah. think, and that's that's that resilient nature of, well, the beginning's never going to be good yeah, or rarely going to be good or they're going to sell you something so fantastic when you actually get there, you go, bullshit, this is bull, this is not what I signed up for, you know. Yeah. But eventually yeah. it probably will be. Mm. Yeah. How do you personally maintain that um, playful spirit of, being playful and creative. How do you maintain that? Um, I, I don't know. I think it's just who I am. I, I genuinely think that's, that's you know, like you can't, um, you can try and be something different, but I, I actually think, I mean, I love laughing. I love taking the piss, right? And I've, get in, I've got in trouble for taking the piss many times because it's just you're an idiot, you know, why would you? Um, but I think when you're writing for kids, you've got to have that sense of what it's like to be a kid. And, you know, if we all, if the rose-coloured glasses theory is true, we all look back and we remember the good things, then I think it's quite important to remember all the, what the fun things were and then to try and reenact those. And, like, I've got a picture book coming next year called Grandma's Guide to Happiness, and it's literally just about old-fashioned fun. And yeah. it's like the, the gumboots are the shoe of happiness, you know, that they put you into puddles and stuff like that. That You know, it's things like rolling. Can you run? How fast can you run down a hill without falling over? And how much fun is falling over? So it's all those those things that are techless and screenless that are actually just great fun. And that's, yeah. and that's I think, what, what we're possibly missing, you know. If you're going to put a two-year-old in front of a screen for whatever length of time, then there's no question that what they're seeing is more engaging than a book, yeah. right? Because it just is coming at them. So it's just like entertainment coming at them like this. But if they look at a book and then create their own story within the book, look at the pictures and go, oh, you know, just given a chance to do that, then they'll be set for life in, in ways that I can create my own fun in my own head because we all live up here all the time. You know, yeah. you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning going, oh, how, am I going to pay? how will I pay for that? Well, if I do that, that will pay for that, and that will happen. You know, like whatever the thing is that keeps you up. What? Yeah, yeah. If I just didn't lean back so much, I probably wouldn't push the ball so far right, and, you know, <laughs> whatever it is. So, yeah, yeah we're all absolutely. living in our heads. Might as well find a way to make it uh, enjoyable. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, the lack of these experiences are coming to fruition now. We're seeing children like no ever deal with so many mental health issues mm. um, and it's coming to life around those teen years yeah where it's that the 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 arrowhead if you will of childhood is coming into the point of transferring into from childhood to adulthood and all of those things start to come up yeah well you you'd be better placed to to know about what that how that works and, and what's actually happening. But I did talk to a, um, a, a teacher who'd been at schools for, you know, 30 years or something, and she said that, in her opinion, kids aren't as strong physically, their mm-hmm. core strength isn't as good, and their creativity isn't as good as it was, say, 20 years ago because they're not climbing trees, they're not running as much, they're not. They're sitting around. Yeah. Give me a, yeah. that one on a phone. Yeah, there's a, a school we're working with in a Brisbane suburb up here. He's got 60 children um, in his prep 
cohort, and only ten of those children don't need additional services. Wow! From from OTs to speech pathology to um, behavioural to medical um, wow. intervention and help. How, so, did you say what ten of sixty? Ten of sixty don't need it. Wow! So that's yeah, terrible. It was, yeah, <laughs> that's it, very is, sad. it is. It is, and Jeez. we're seeing children actually transition to school and actually not have the core strength to balance on a chair. Yeah, to sit in a chair. That's which a fact, is right. Yeah, absolutely fact. Yeah. So, and, um, and that gets down to play. Yes, like that purely yeah. gets down to the notion of play. Yeah, of jumping, running, lifting. You know, I mean, look, yeah. maybe you could, I haven't thought about this much at all, but it's that thing of uh, what's the new gym CrossFit. Right? CrossFit's yeah. basically being a caveman, isn't it? Yeah. You know? It's running, throwing, lifting, jumping, jumping and lifting yeah. in awkward ways. I'm going to lift this thing, I'll drop it, I'm going to throw this, I lift a yeah. rope. And it's just, it's, it's, I'm a farmer, right? Yeah. And yeah. It's the kid, and what the kids used to do for fun, it was like, you know, see when the lights come on and off they'd go, and God knows what we did. Yeah. It's Clutch. that, um, the hunter brain that I think is like motivates play. It's like, hey, I'm going to run towards the thing that's interesting. Might be a bit sketchy. Yeah, but that's a, that's the thing that activates our physiology the most. Running towards like, what's scary. Yes. Cool. Um, there's a fantastic research paper, and it sums up risky play in that from a child's point of view so nicely. It's called um, scary funny. Because it's like how children articulate risky play. Yeah, it's scary, but it's quite funny as well. Yeah, right. It's, so that's um, what the paper's called, Scary Funny. Scary Funny, yeah. So and if I Googled Scary Funny, I'd find scary it? Scary Funny Play Research, yeah. Great, um, okay. Caitlin will find it and send it, put it in the link in, okay, the, great. in the show notes. Sounds good. Um, because one one is operating from the adrenaline-based physiology of that, that fear and management of that fear, uh, fight, flight, faint or freeze. But then when you overcome that adrenaline-based thing you, and you do it on your own accord, you get yeah. that big hit of dopamine, yeah. which is then that euphoric, like, joy. So scary, funny is oh, yeah. how children articulate it. Yeah. And it's also like, you know, if you can engage with the unknown – so, like, when we were at 22, a friend and I rode across America. We camped out. We camped on a river, on the camp, on Mississippi River, in a motorbike. It's a big sign saying no camping. So we're like, yeah, let's camp there, yeah, because we're, you know, young and dumb. And in the middle of the night, we could hear someone walking in the water. And so we were petrified as to what was outside our tent and what was coming to get us. And the imagination, and that's the whole thing, that's, you know, like, we were literally, you know, we were weapons out, and which was a Swiss Army knife. But um, anyway, it turned out it was a pelican, right? But what was great was that whole thing of we didn't, we didn't know what it was. We thought it was terrible, and there's that whole adrenaline thing. And then afterwards, the survival. And so if your kids can find a way to do that by jumping down one step, then two steps, then three steps, or whatever it is, you know, they might, might go awry but it yep. might be, you know, become the champion of the world. Absolutely. Increment, in, incremental accomplishment. Mm. And um, you talk a lot about parenting. What are the common threads of challenge that we're hearing for parenting in the modern age that you're coming across? Uh, I th I, the tech is the main thing, and then mm. mental health is the other, you know, like how to, how to combat tech with teens yeah. Um, and as you were saying, like, if you've got so 50 of 60 kids need extra help in, yeah. in prep, I think there's a genuine fear in that. And we all sort of worry. So, we, you know, like we all want it, we're all doing our best. Yeah. Um, and I'm not, well, that's the thing, isn't it? Everyone's doing their best. Yeah. So, uh, but that, those would be the two main things. And no one's being, um, no one's got their child's worst interests at heart. Oh, no. Do they? No. Um, you, you're on the other side of coming to the other side of teens now. I know, we're, we're out. We've only got an 18, 18's our youngest, so we are. Yeah. 
There's a whole new world of side. things now. You're like nothing but fairways. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, some of them are long, though, like really long. Yes. Um, how have you personally overcome and some uh, those strat- um, challenges of like screens and navigating into adulthood? Uh, I, I, I don't think we overcame the screen question. I just, mm. I, I don't, I don't think we succeeded with that. Um, but then you got to, to, to success to my my opinion of success, my my vision of success. You know, like they love them. They just, I mean, yeah. they're they're heroin. You know, like yeah. you try and get them off. No, fuck no. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, they're terrible. I really think yeah. they're terrible um, in a social sense as well. So uh, because it's just so much easier to sit around and you know like watch something on your screen and do other things. Uh, having said that, the kids are good. We've got great kids. Like yeah. where they they're really good. Um, I don't know. I think we we eat at the dinner table most nights, and no tech. The only tech at dinner time is music. So you sort of sit there and, and everyone is pretty well versed on how to converse and how to talk. And the dinner table is where everything, you know, you talk about anything. It's like some one night some kid will dominate an hour of dinner. You sit there go, come on. Um, other nights it's an all in, you know. It's mm-hmm. like talking in the kitchen while cooking is going on. So being around. So I think being around and talking and communicating is uh, the answer. And I think it's the same in all of my family, like, you know, my sister and her kids, you know, they just, they get together and they just don't shut up. And so it's really like, that's surely got to be a big part of the answer. So there's a yeah. place for phones, obviously. Yeah. Um, but definitely not at the table. Yeah. Um, being such a great communicator across so many different areas, what, um, and you've really honed a skill there of communicating a message. How, what do you see the effect of this phone culture having on people being able to communicate? Is it going to evolve or is it something we're going to have to work extra hard at? I don't know, Lucas. To be honest, I remember when texting first came in, it's like there's people that I would call and they wouldn't call back, but they'd text. Mm. It's kind of like the drive-by shooting of communication, you know. It's just communicating from a distance. I'm just going to do this safely from over, over here. <laughs> um, so I think, yeah, I, I, I don't know, actually. I think, I, I actually don't know what the effect's going to be of phones. I, 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 I do think, and I've said this for years to my family, and they go, oh, Dad, um, I do think we're going to look back and go, how, how did we let that happen? And because the genie's gone, right? So it's it's yeah, it's over. Like yeah. So the, I don't know what you're going to do about it, but I, I really genuinely think we'll look back and say, how do we just let people have this thing and walk around? And and I mean, far out. People just walking along, texting, yeah, while they're or whatever. Like, come on. And this is the, it's the answer to the, it's the, it's the gateway to the world. This 1993 telephone that I have, um, <laughs> it is that, um, it is, it does open up the world. I understand all of that, but it also shuts the world off entirely, you know, in a yeah. true sense. Yeah. yeah. What's that, that classic phrase? It's like, we've never been so connected and disconnected at the same time. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think I, it, I reckon it would be able to be connect, like, yeah, be able to talk. Yeah. Like, to talk. Yeah. Especially with COVID, we've all been pushed into onto tech even more so. Yeah. So who likes a Zoom meeting? <laughs> yeah. No, no, but like, no. The no phrase one. of the year is yeah, like, you, your mic is muted. Yeah, your mic, yeah. Whereas you can sit there in a real meeting and someone's talking and you can give someone else a sly look and go, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. You can't do the kick under the table. No. Ow. <laughs> Maybe they need an emoji for that. The cheeky, the funny post-it. Yeah. See? A lost, lost art in communication. Lost art. Yeah. Um, talking of sorry, additional sorry, skills. The, sorry, the, the, the other part about that is we've become super sensitive because you can't read the intent of a text 
often. Yes. So you might be saying or something. Email. Yeah. Or so you might be saying something quite funny. Yes. And or meant one way but taken another way, and there's really no way to explain it back the other way. Once it's, yeah. once it's gone, it's gone. It's yes. like once the intention is misunderstood, it's been misunderstood. Yeah. And for your, for your, till your dying day, you can go, look, I didn't mean it that way. And I go, I know, I know. No, we, you did. You did. You did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When it comes to email and text communication with staff, mm. always can ask, um, what's the Disney narr- narrator voice you put that it, to that email? Was it like the Mickey Mouse or was it the Corella DeVille? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Like, what is the voice you're reading? Oh, I haven't heard that on that first. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> we do it. Um, talking about Disney books, creativity. Um, how did you, is writing something you've always done or is it something you've developed over time? Um, I think it was, a, I just got a chance to write and, I mean, it, like I wrote, I lived in New York and my girlfriend, who's now my wife, she lived here. And so I'd write her letters, but pretending to be like a Russian ski instructor if I was going skiing or whatever. So I'd write in accent and stuff. And one day she said to me, you should, you should write. You're actually, yeah. you know, quite funny. She's actually the funny one. Um, and I met a publisher and said I wanted to have a crack at it after meeting uh, who wrote... Oh, this is terrible. Anyway, I met a publisher that said I wanted to write, and he said, well, write then. I said, what do I have to do? He goes, well, you have to write. And this is the thing, if you want to play for the Wallabies, you don't wake up at 18 and you go, mate, I'm a Wallaby. Yeah. You know, you don't, you're not a socceroo, you're not a swift, you're not a – you've got to do the work. So anyway, yeah. so I wrote, and it was no good, and then he directed me, he gave me some a sense of where to go, and – who to write for and what the audience is and what it might sound like. Morris Gleitzman was the guy and he wrote his book Bumface. And the opening sequence of Bumface is hilarious and naughty. Yeah. The teacher walks through the classroom and stops at a kid and says, Are you, is that a penis you're drawing? And the kid goes, no, it's a, and she said, I told you, you're meant to be drawing a penis, right? And I suddenly went, oh, my God, so this can be fun. So, um, right. That was the that was the impetus, and then so once I got going, I got going, you know, and it probably helped that I was you know in the media at the time, yeah, and that probably helped the first book, and then it doesn't help at all for anything after that. <laughs> the first one, um, and what books do you have coming up? Or uh, let's start here. What's it, what's been your favourite to date? Uh, probably, I've probably got three because they're directly related to my children. So yep. one's a book called Good Night Me. So it's a base, it's basically a meditation of good night feet, good night knees, good night legs. It's yep. like it's beautiful. Um, and I was saying, saying good night to Felix, and <clears throat> you guys tell us a story with your mouth, Dad. I went, oh, can't think of one. He goes, Dad, tell me a story with your mouth, Dad. I said, I'll say good night to your feet, and he went, good night feet. I said, say good night to your knees, and he goes, night knees. So what do you need to do? And he said, to hold my legs together. So we went through the body, so I wrote it down. And yeah. that took five years to make. Wow. Um, there's another one called Check On Me because uh, Bibby, our middle daughter, she'd every night say, hey, you know, tuck her in and read her a story and whatever, and then leave as walking out of the bedroom, she'd say, hey, Dad, don't forget to check on me. And then yeah. one night I heard it, I went, oh, check it. Oh, my God, there's a book here about um, what happens – between say dinner time and waking up in the morning, like what's the yeah. what does every kid go through? And then the a younger one, Jazzy, she'd always say, "I do it, you know, I do it, I do it, I do it, I do it, I do it." So it's all the things that kids do, yeah, you know. Um, and so I think they're they're direct correlations to the kids. So I think they're my favourites. And there's another book called Just Breathe, which was really hard to write, mm-hmm. which is a young adult novel, you know, and Bibi, the, the beautiful writer, she said, you know, write something to make me cry. So I went, oh, wow, that's a challenge. Wow. So it's a really, it's a love story. It's, you know, it's, yeah. and it was, and I actually got her to write a passage that I couldn't actually do myself. I just couldn't. 
I just didn't have the head for it. So I went, can you write yeah. this beautiful piece of prose that this kid? Sure, she did. So, so you know. So She's like, like I'll that. show you. Yeah, I'll show you. Dad's like this. And there was a sex scene or something. I said, I'm not sure how to write a sex scene. So she showed me a couple of books with sex scenes that were good. Yeah. You know, like, which were not sex scenes at all. Yeah. So and I went, ah, oh, you know. So there's yeah. great moments when you have kids to share the writing process with them. Yeah. And you touched on earlier that your teacher friend saying there's a decrease in creativity, mm. but it's not like by the sound of your process, it's not like you sat around and be like, all right, I'm going to come up with an idea. You just had a certain level of awareness. I, yeah, I think so. Ideas find you, right? Yeah. All the, but it's a matter of are you, are you open to their arrival? So mm. something happened to you today, for instance, that is a great idea. You just didn't notice it. Yeah. You know, you just missed it. It just went. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the same idea might have ended up with someone else and they've gone, oh, like, I mean, I can't, oh, I don't know. Every morning I ride down the hill to the, I swim in the mornings. Yeah. And there's a, a manhole cover that sits slightly above. So every day I jump the manhole cover, <laughs> jump off it. And I yep. know that there are days when no one sees, and there are days sometimes someone sees. Someone will go, oh, you're an idiot. Like, look at this idiot. <laughs> Bald bloke running down the hill and he's, you know. And I know it sparks me to actually try and do something. Yeah. And I, and I reckon it might spark someone else one day to go, you know. Why not? So, why not? Why not? Mm. And um, I'm sitting across from someone that's mentioned, like, children's book ideas and things. Um, what's your advice for someone with an idea? Oh, you've got to they've write. Caught the, they've caught the idea and now yeah. what? Uh, you have to write. You literally have to write it down. So I've talked to lots and lots of people who go, I want to be a writer, I want to do this. And they go, okay, yeah, no worries. Have you written anything down? They go, no, no. I'm just I'm letting the idea sort of filter within me and, and that's fine. That they filter within you and then filter through you and filter out the back and you never see them again. Yeah. Um, most of my stories take up to four or five years to actually solidify into something that's workable. Yeah. And then I'll, and then to even to be bothered to pitch the idea. Yeah. Um, so if you have something written down, at least you can go back to that mm. note and go, oh, okay, well, now I'll work a bit further on that. But you have to you have to actually write the thoughts down. Yeah. And and what is your um, thoughts on the current state of storytelling for children and the value of it? Oh, it's, I don't think it's ever been better, has it? Like, I mean, there's great like the the diversity of stories is amazing. Yeah. Like it's we had an Enid. I'm sure there was other things as well, but you know, Enid Blyton and you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And, okay, so Roald Dahl was pretty Roald good. Roald Dahl. Yeah, yep. right. Um, <laughs> he's amazing. Yeah. Um, but now it's so broad. Yeah. It's so genuinely broad. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of sad books as well, like a lot of sad picture books. You look at the CBC list of books and there's some really heavy stuff, which I'm, yeah. I know it's – I know it's good, like it's good to have those things, but gee whiz, I do believe, I think it's, if kids could be <laughs> lifted, yeah. not given yeah, a, not given a, hey, listen, depression's coming, there's a black cloud coming, Yeah, you know, far out, what it's if I didn't know, know about it? Yeah, there's a book, what's it called, um, What to Do with a Problem. <laughs> oh, wow. And it, and it, and it's this. Yeah, check it out. It's like starts as a small thing and he tries to ignore it and it just grows and grows until he's like in, in this big storm. And I was like, yeah. well, that's, and his whole world's spinning around him. I was like, well, that's pretty full on. It's only little. Um, yeah, well, to the, you know, and it sounds like a really brilliant book. It sounds mm. brilliant. And maybe it's an adult book and they've just written it as a kid's book. Yeah. But the kid gets it and they go, and then all of a sudden their awareness. And for the end of that, so, you know, there's stories that really um, kids get a hold of and they love them and, you know, yeah. so if they suddenly go, I love the what's, you know, what's in a problem yeah, or whatever it's called, yeah, yeah. suddenly they're going to start looking for problems. Yeah. 
Yeah, so, absolutely. Or, or the or instead of being liberated by an idea, they're letting themselves be defined by an idea yeah. or story. Yeah. So it's it's tricky, and it's and the world's more complicated, and we think we probably think more than we um, possibly need to. Yeah. About a lot and of things. You I'm not educated in any of this stuff, by the way. This no, is just but it's you, you're you're a thinking you're a storyteller, so that's the value. Um, and you're someone that laughs, and you're you're someone that appreciates silliness. Um, so, how as parents, as educators, do we bring that more more silliness and laughter in? Do you think? Um, uh, I think we. Kids know what they see. So, like, if you and, – and there's – I don't know what the research is, but I know there's research on it. If kids see your dad – especially for boys, if they see their dad reading, they'll be more inclined to read, right? Yeah. You grow up in a household where fun is, um, fun is part of the daily routine, you'll be more inclined to be involved in the fun. But yeah. if you grow up in a I'm, – and I'm guessing, this is just – but if you grew up in a highly no, no, don't you, you can't do that, then that's going to def- have a big place in defining who you are until you can break out of it if that's the way you're wired. So I think in, in terms of um, implanting fun and storytelling and adventure in your kids is to actually act it yourself. Don't go, go here, you go and do that and I'm going to Facebook for a while. You know, yeah. go and get involved, get involved yeah. in the fun or let them go, like let them go and have the fun and tell you what they did and then enjoy the story for what it is. Not, it doesn't have to be a lesson in everything. Sometimes and, a story is just a story. Yeah. And it's not something to be prescribed. Mm. You know, here's your, here's your, here's your um, what do they call it when they give you a thing at the doctor? Here's your prescription. prescription. <laughs> Off you go. Yeah. Go I don't, I, and I don't think there's a story in everything. I don't think there's a lesson in everything. I think, you know, sometimes you can just go out there and, you know, whatever, play up, catch waves. <laughs> what did you learn from that? I don't know. I can surf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Cut a bit of Absolutely. weed off a rock and throw it in the ocean on the end of a hook and see what happens. Yeah. Absolutely. Comes down to experience and enjoying enjoying what you're doing, and that's what like we our listeners. I'm sure they can learn so much from this such an adventurous, fun spirit that you have. So, Sometimes, yeah, oh, Some of the most time. of the time. Let's be serious. Some <laughs> building of the time. putting greens in your backyard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you can play. Um, we started off by talking about where you played as a child. I like to wrap things up, and you know, you've the lifestyle's evolved. You've got a family now. So how do you um, play and have that fun as a family in these days? We had to, we had a family dinner because everyone was going on holidays and going different places. It took two weeks to find a date that we're all going to be home in the same house and everyone lives at home. Oh, wow. Right. So um, I think, I think we should sort of set, times to try and do things like we had a family holiday we went to the hunter valley for a few days a little while ago so we have moments where we go okay this we're definitely spending time together here and we're going to do those things um and then otherwise it's snatching bits of time with the whatever kid is around you know mm. so like my wife and i walk you know saturdays sundays always and then if we can drag a kid along with us then that's part of it we go for a swim all through winter and stuff. So we, you know, whoever you can rope along to do those things, surfing, yeah. um, fixing cars, jumping jump bikes, jumping bikes. <laughs> well, this is one of the failures, epic fails. I was talking to an 18 year old today and she was saying how she just, she's not even sure she can ride a bike anymore. And I just, I said to her, this hurts me internally in my heart. Like you should be. And she goes, I just, I'm not into it. She won't snorkel either. She refuses to really? snorkel because she's scared of fish. So she knows they're in the water, right? But if Bless. she sees them, she'll shit herself. So you just go, <laughs> just go. <laughs> what a, 
Wow, we went to the Barrier Reef when she was a kid, and I threw her, you know, threw her in the water. That was my fault. It's my, you know, like. So, <laughs> I think I think play for us now. It's sort of it's more adult play. You know, yeah. like you can get someone to go to the footy with you, or but it, it is that thing. Like the best times, like I think that we have as a family is when uh, before dinner, cooking dinner, mm. and uh, if someone puts the right music on, and there'll be. You know, and it doesn't, it's not every night, but, you know, maybe two nights a week and then everyone, it's on, you know, it's like it'll be someone dancing and stories and whatever and, you know. Yeah. And there's no one sitting there going, oh, you dance like a dickhead. It's just, Yeah. <laughs> you know. It's a playful so spirit. I just think, I, I think that, I, I think if you create an opportunity where people can be themselves and have whatever fun that is. And this is within every family. It's just, you know, have tournaments, compete for shit, have a yeah. chess tournament, have a, it's like Wordle. We had a Wordle thing where, you know, whoever, whoever lasts the longest. Um, it's my wife, actually. She's really good. <laughs> and it was devastating. I was the first to go out and they all laughed at me. <laughs> it's right, it was out. Yeah. So it's things like that, you know, find the small yeah. moments and really celebrate them. Yeah. And make space for them by the sounds of it. Yeah. In fact, don't celebrate them. Just let them be. But, yeah. like, know in your heart as, as the parent, yeah, this is pretty special. We should try and manipulate circumstances as we can to try and get this stuff to happen as often as we can. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us today in the Worthy Studio. Um, I love your insight. I love the playful spirit. I know I'm going to go away and focus on laughing more because I can tend to get a bit serious and task-orientated sometimes. So I really appreciate the reminder, and I think I'm just going to get writing as well. Yeah, good. Just well, good start. luck. And, oh, the other thing with writing I didn't say is you don't beat yourself up. Yeah. Everyone beats themselves up. They get through two lines. The shadow worked its way across the – that's stupid. That's uh, <laughs> stupid, right? Don't. Just, like, just yeah. get, put the words on the page to begin with and then sort it out at the end. Yeah. That's what everyone else does. Awesome. I think. <laughs> That's how you do it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. Good on you, Lucas. Thanks un- for having me. 